Listener Production. Okay, are you recording? G'day and welcome along to episode 85 of the Howie Games Part A. Stoked to have you all along for the ride. The show this week comes to you from the Pacific coast of Costa Rica. Nice. Wish you guys were here. Alrighty. If you got to this point, you may already know who Garrett McNamara is, or you may just be curious. As my kids would say, Garrett is a hellman, a genuine hellman, credited by the Guinness Book of World Records for holding the world record a couple of times for the biggest wave ever surfed. Garrett is a big deal in the world of big, big, big wave surfing. The man is a freak. Ready for what seems to be the biggest wave ever served. Garrett McNamara n'a peur de rien. Absolutely ridiculous. I think I'd call that crazy. Uh, that would be pretty nuts. 45 year old Hawaiian, lucky to be living legend, might just have shattered his own world record. Maybe at this point, Google Garrett McNamara and the town of Nazare in Portugal, which you'll discuss plenty. You may know it. It's got the now iconic shot of the lighthouse in the foreground with ant-sized men charging monster waves that defy belief in the background. Often that ant-sized man is Garrett. Mystery, what is to be? So much more than meets the eye. Listen to me, time is your key. You will find out by and by. Be fair to say... I don't really know how to describe this episode. In some ways, some ways, it covers the themes this show revolves around hard work, commitment, preparation, and my favourite, doing what you really, really want to do with your life. But with the G-Man, the messages are delivered in a very, very, very different manner. Garrett has lived a life far, far from ordinary, as you're about to find out. This isn't just a podcast about surfing. In fact, it's not that much about surfing. It's the story of a kid who grew up in very unusual circumstances. Parents, off the top, please have a listen before your kids do. Then decide whether you want to play it to them with you. There are drug references in this episode, but but this is what Garrett had to say near the end of the episode about taking drugs. At the end of the day, you want to smoke some weed, go for it. But other than that, stay away from any kind of drugs. Can't they see they hold the key? Could make things better if they try. Oh my Jaja, tell me why. Won't they open up their eyes? Check out Garrett's book, The Hound of the Sea. It is a ripping read and a lot of the inspiration from this podcast came from when I read that book. Please let me know what you think about this episode. I am fascinated to know. Hit me up at MarkHoward03 on social media and let me know. Alrighty, enjoy the wild ride with Garrett McNamara. So when you search and then you find Know just where to go And thoughts that once used to cloud your mind You see clearly and now you know Mystery, what is to be Revealed in King Selassie I Come on children, try with me We want to reach Mount Zion Garrett McNamara, I've met you now three minutes ago. I often know my guests, but, mate, I'm that stoked to have a chat with you. Welcome to the Howie Games. Uh, Thank you, Howie. I'm so honoured to be here and just happy to be in Melbourne having fun. I read your book, Hound of the Sea, after I had you on the radio 18, 20 months ago. You were in Portugal at the time. And this book, 
it blew me away, mate. It's, and now to, to sit here and have a chance to chat with you, you have had a phenomenal journey to this point in so many different aspects of life. Yeah, it's been a, um, and a, definitely a roller coaster. Yeah, and very interesting one. And I, I think that the main thing that I feel now that everything that's happened to me in my life brought me to this point for a reason. And this point at the moment, you're in Melbourne, and, and we'll get into your book and your life. And for a man that didn't have a couple of dollars to rub together 15, 20 years ago, you're now here, and you've got yourself a Mercedes surfboard, which I'm very, very envious of. <laughs> that is definitely the best board ever made for Nazare, even though we've only been making boards for 10 years for Nazare. But um, it was just out of... I, most times you're kind of scratching and clawing and hey sponsor me and knocking on doors yeah. and, and they came to me they like knocked on my door and yeah. like it was like what and said we'll make you the most high tech modern surfboard the world has ever seen that's what they uh, yeah that's exactly what they wanted to do but that as they came at me they were like we want to pitch you a, a, a proposal we're coming to Nazareth I'm like okay so they come and they pull out this we're the uh, um, he said they're like I'm not sure if you know but Mercedes is air land and sea. Yep, we the, don't the three points of the star, and we don't do much in the sea, and we don't want to just sit on the cliff in our car. We want to get in the water with you, but most of all, we want to give you a board that will help you survive and ride the waves. And we didn't have anything that was actually working. We had some boards that you could survive and you're just trying going so fast and the fins are about to fly out and you're, nothing's feeling good. It's like survival, spooky, uh, scary. And then just... So it, it was designed by the top boys in Germany. The top design, okay, it was amazing. So they pitched me. I'm like, I'm in. And then <laughs> they're in. Boom, get on a plane to Germany. And this is just a little Portugal, you know, 10 million people. Yeah. And the marketing guy at in Portugal was so excited about it. And he's, he's passionate and he, and he surfs and he windsurfs. And so he gets me to Germany right away. He doesn't come with me, unfortunately, because this guy's amazing. But uh, I get there and there's seven foot tall Germans and we're in the, the design room where it's off limits. Nobody's allowed. They're building things 20 years out. And these Germans are running around like little kids in the candy store, so excited to build this surfboard. And they have this huge, uh, like chalkboard design board, and they un and it's all covered with a big white. And they unveil this futuristic ad campaign with this futuristic board and and super Garrett with us, just like crazy futuristic, almost like moon suit, and with my head on it. I was like, oh, I couldn't believe what they were doing. <laughs> You are, you're in Australia, um, and from all reports, I live in a little place called Barwon Heads, which is 20 minutes from Torquay. Uh, the boys tell me you had your first surf at Bells. Maybe it was Sunday, which would have been cold, but it was pumping. What did you think of the great natural amphitheatre? I love love it. Um, it was... I, I didn't really come here to surf, and I was... Hadn't surfed since Fiji. I towed about what I think it's about two months, almost yeah, three months ago. And I've just been training, getting ready for Nazareth, and I've been trying to force myself to stay out of the water because I don't want to get hurt before Nazareth. Mm -hmm. And I was nursing uh, that this this is good, but I had a little rib, a little um, I think it was fractured, but it was uh, kind of dislocated and floating. And every time I went back in the water, I'd hit it and it would 
rupture it and it wouldn't heal. So I'm like, I'm staying out of the water until I go to Nazare and I'm not going to even have the chance of hurting it in the water. And uh, then I get here and they're like, oh, Bells, we want to take you to Bells. And I'm like, okay, I'll go check it out. I didn't even bring a board. Uh -huh. I brought one tow board to show mm -hmm. and my safety equipment to show. I didn't bring a board to serve. Luckily, I ran into Maurice Cole. Cole. Actually, I'm texting. I'm e I'm messaging him and trying to call him, and I'm not getting any reply. And then finally, he replies, and finally, he's like, "Yeah, mate, I got board. Yeah, I'd love to see your board. We gotta try and make a better board from Mercedes. I'm for um Nazareth with you and Ross, and and then um I go out. He didn't show up that morning. He's supposed to be there at eight, and he. It's eight, and the waves are firing. Nine, the waves are firing. Ten, the waves are firing. And I'm actually getting excited to go surf. So <laughs> this guy, Glenn, an awesome Aussie guy who uh, lives close to Bells, he brings a couple extra boards. and brings me a wetsuit, brings me booties. And so I went out on his board, and I'm trying to stand up with the booties, and I'm falling over my face. I, I mean, I almost felt first three waves, I almost tripped getting up. That's me surfing every day. <laughs> well, it's like, what's going on here? I was like, oh, my God. And they're all filming, and they're got this big camera crew, and I'm just like, oh, my God, this is a disaster. <laughs> and then Maurice, I come in like, okay, what am I going to do? Maybe take the booties off? Uh, maybe I need another. And then Maurice shows up, and he brings me this magic. It's a, it's a bigger board, and it was a little he more heavy than I'm used to, I paddled out on the thing so confident and just, whew, it was it was just, it was really like magic. And the whole session was super fun. Last wave, all the way to the beach, step off on the sand. I was just like, wow, what a day. I love this place. I'm glad you got to see it when it was absolutely pumping. Now, as I said, I mentioned your book, mate, Hound of the Sea. Um, we normally start right at the start, which is your childhood and your upbringing the first 120 pages of this book is your upbringing, which was different, not bad, just different to say the least. Can you just let our listeners in a little bit about growing up and the places you were and went and the alternative way you grew up to most of us? Well, I was born in Pittsfield, Massachusetts, pretty far from the ocean. Yeah. So to become a surfer is unheard of. Um or a, a successful one, mm. maybe a, somebody just having fun. Um, but at one and a... Okay, so my mother and my father had me there, and then we went to a boarding school where my father was the English teacher mm -hmm. and the Latin teacher and the basketball coach. And my mother was like the house mother. Um, and at about one and a half years old, they get a call from the police... And they get a hold of my mom, and they're like, are you guys missing a, a girl up there? I had wandered from the school down a dirt road to the highway and was about, was about to start cruising down the highway. In my imagination, I remember having my dog with me. But my mom says we didn't have the dog then, you but I remember off. having... But... Uh, Sake. So, oh, we're, we're, you guys missing a girl? And then my mom looks around. She's freaking out and says, check the diaper. And they look in. Oh, it's a ball. Yeah, my girl. Please bring him home. So, I'd like to say I was pretty much free because that never stopped. My mom just kind of was. I mean, she loved us and everything, but I think she was 
too busy thinking about other things. So mm-hmm. we always got away and did whatever we wanted, whenever we wanted. We were free from one and a half years old. I was free. And then she took us from the the boarding school and she inherited a bunch of money. So she said, we're moving to Berkeley. We get to Berkeley during the riots, during when it's it's one of the most liberal towns. And um, we uh, rent a house with, there's like five or 10 people kind of hippied out. And, and that went on for about a year. And then a year later, my mom goes, we're going up to the mountains in the middle of nowhere, Northern California. And we're starting a hippie commune. And she started it. So we end up in this farmhouse with about 30 people. <laughs> we're running around naked. And I remember it as a very amazing, fun time. I process it as all it was really fun and nothing bad happened to me there. It was just, you know, kids exploring. And um, so then we're there for about, I'd say four or five years. And then she wants to move again. She wants to leave my dad. She wants my dad to come with her, but my dad's like, we've already uprooted us and uprooted us. And I kind of like it here. And she said, well, I'm going. So she gets in a Volkswagen van with this guy named Mad Bob. Mad Bob? Yeah. Was and he mad? Yeah. You know what? I don't remember. I I remember that we broke down more than you could ever imagine breaking down. And I actually knew every single part of a Volkswagen or any car engine when I was like five, just by watching them fix it a hundred times. But um, we traveled from Berkeley, California all the way to British Honduras, the whole stretch. So all down through Central America. Plant camping everywhere, the whole way in a Volkswagen van. What an extraordinary... I, I had the pleasure of taking my kids to Costa Rica and Panama this February, um, and it blew their mind, but we were staying in nice hotels. We're not sleeping in the back of a Volkswagen van, and it, it shapes you, I think, at that young age, seeing places and cultures. What are your memories of travelling down through Mexico and Guatemala and these parts of the world? We entered, ended up being in a circus for a little while. A circus? Yeah, and I remember the motorcycle going around in the, in the circle cage, and then the circus, I don't want to say freaks, but all the different performers. Um, That's one of the, my memories. Another one was um, camping on the at a beach, and we're getting, the um, I think, the mackerel off the beach, but then the rooster fish were coming in, and I remember always being so afraid of the rooster fish. Still, today, I'm probably afraid of the rooster fish because we'd be grabbing them off the shore, and then the rooster fish would come to, watch out, and I'd run. <laughs> now, I remember... Learning about karma at a very young age, I took money to go to get the breakfast, the tortillas and the beans in the morning. Mm. Actually, probably just going to get the tortillas for the beans that we already cooked. And instead, I went and bought firecrackers. Uh-oh. Yeah. And then I went to go light them off, and I, I lit it. And I'm like six or whatever. I light it. I pull my arm back right by my ear, get ready to throw, and <laughs> And I'm still pretty deaf to this day in that one ear. Right. And, uh... That's karma. My my heart, my hand blew up, and I would just. I think my mom must have explained it to me at that moment, because I, I I do remember that being the beginning of the understanding of you give, you get, you take, you get taken from, and you do you know karma. You you do bad, bad's gonna come on you. There's a part of your book where you talk about you're living with a family in Central America. You'll have to remind me where it was. And you were spending a lot of time with the family to the point where they were willing to adopt you. 
Is that a true story? Jose Pepe. Jose Pepe. <laughs> Great name. That's a good memory. We uh, we still traveling down the coast, and I think the van broke down, or somehow this Mexican guy bef- we befriended him, and he invited us up to his house, and we're staying with his family, with my mom and and my mom's boyfriend Luis. Uh, Matt Bob was gone. Now there's Luis, and. Um, they had to go do something. So they left. Well, she was always going to find a bank to get some of her money that she inherited. She always had to go find a bank somewhere. And and then I think they were going to find a bank. And then they ended up gone for like a week or two. And I was like really enjoying being with this family, having something stable. And How old are you? A, I was about five or six. Six, probably five or six. Wow. But don't quote me on that. <laughs> uh and it was just really stable and a lot of love and amazing. You know how amazing Mexican people are. They're so family orientated. And and then my mom comes back and I'm just like, oh no, you're coming. I wasn't like excited. I was like, er. maybe I was, but I re- I don't remember being excited. I remember wanting to stay. And the, and he's like, I can keep him. You guys, I'll, I'll watch him. I'll I'll even adopt him. And and I was like, wow, this is nice. And. Back in the van, down the road <laughs> to the next pothole where you're stuck and the engine breaks and and uh, yeah. Next up on the Howie Games, don't know, don't know because I'm sitting on a beach in Costa Rica at the moment having a holiday with the crew. But don't worry, the show will be ready to download on Thursday, March 19th, and could be one of six different guests depending on which way the cookie crumbles. So keep an eye out for it on Thursday, March 19th. Alrighty, back to Garrett. It's amazing how life can go in different directions. If you'd stayed there, who knows what would have happened to you. you your family with your mum joined, I don't want to say a cult, but you got involved in a religious group? Okay, so we went from Jose Pepe's to where we built the house on the water, and there were some Mennonites next door, which is a different type of... So where are you? Where, where'd you build the house on the Belize, water? Belize, British Honduras. Right, Belize. Down south, as far as you can go. And we're on a lake, and her husband come very, her boyfriend became very abusive, and um, so we had to escape, and we escaped in a little rowboat out the river where there's crocodiles, and, and uh, yeah, through this little, we used to use the boat to go to the store, but we had to use the boat to escape, and she got us out of there and got us back to Berkeley, to our father, and then um, she went back to Louise. After she escaped him, and then she finally escaped again, and then she came back to Berkeley and she got a house down the road from us. My dad had an amazing restaurant in the corridor of Shattuck and Ashby, and we had all of our friends, and we're having to, we were in heaven. We were in the, it was what stable. type of restaurant was it? It was called the Omnivore. Different menu every night, all vegetarian. Right. And it was, and we there's a window on the street where we could ride our bikes up to the window, drive through, bike through, and order, come back and. Boom, there's our food. We were in heaven. <laughs> and we had like 20 friends on a two-block street. And we did everything together. We had baseball team, football, basketball, BMX, skateboarding. It was during the Dogtown era, so we were skateboarding. And then my mom comes back, and we're, we're stoked. You know, we love her, our mom. And so we go back and forth between our mom and our dad. And... uh the the one f- crazy thing is we were like seven eight we were climbing uh, uh, apartment buildings pretty like five ten fifteen stories and stealing marijuana plants off the roof 
At age 10? Yes. No, seven. Seven. Rolling up joints and smoking them. Big, big ones. This one time where we got all our weed, we're just all dry. We roll a big, big joint and we're at my mom's. We're now down at my mom. And there's a big glass door and she comes walking in and we're, we just took a big hit. So we hide it behind us and, and she's like, what are you guys doing? And we're like, she's like, what? No, she's like, what is that? And we're like, weed. <laughs> she's like, what do you mean? From the ground there? From the from the garden? And we're like, no. And she's like, let me see that. She grabs it. She takes the hit. But uh, that was at like seven. It wow. Crazy. So then um, she goes. And takes us into the Christ family. She said, we're going to Mount Shasta. So we go to Mount Shasta. She's on a, now she's on a religious pursuit. First she was on a find herself hippie pursuit. And now she's on a religious, religion pursuit. So we go to Mount Shasta where we're camping. And she still has her money. And she's, and um, we have nice shoes and clothes and we're warm. And she meets these people called the Christ family. The Christ family. And it's still, I just got an email from somebody like a week ago saying, hey, I'm a Christ family survivor. Survivor. That doesn't sound <laughs> <the> positive. <laughs> so what was the basis of the Christ family and how did it affect the you guys? The basis was no sex, no killing, and no materialism. That's The basis was you have a rope. You, okay, first you have to burn anything animal product. No animal products. And... Burn everything and burn all your possessions and all your money, all so, your so everything. So did you do that? No, she burnt everything. Your Our stuff? Boot, we're in Mount Shasta up in kind of a very cold area and she burns everything and she makes us a robe out of a sheet and we have a blanket that exactly like Jesus, that's what we wore. No. Yes, with a little bedding to lay down in the middle of nowhere so you can sleep. And... um and then, so we we burnt everything, got our robes, got our sheep, no shoes. What are you thinking of this as a, as a kid? All the experience I've had, I've processed them all as um, shaping me and learning experiences and good experiences. But the Christ family wasn't good. That wasn't a good experience. She left us with like this weird old club foot guy for a week and, and with so, a bunch of other brothers. And, uh, and, and just, we were actually making pipes and smoking weed. My brother's smoking cigarettes. And this, this kid's five. I'm seven. So you, so you, and you, you walked. You walked and walked, you walked. And you you walk. walk. No hitchhiking allowed. If people stop that want to pick you up, they can. And you can accept the ride and you go home with them and they'll feed you. People would pick us up and take us to their home. It was the best thing ever. They'd pick you up, take you to their home, feed you and take care of you. And you were allowed to do that. It was like a kind gesture that... And then back to walking. No sex, no killing, no materialism. You chant that. So you're you're spreading the <clears throat> message. Yes. No sex, no killing, no materialism. That's huh. what you spread as you walk. The biggest, funniest thing was everybody would always go, well, where'd the kids come from? <laughs> <laughs> and so, like... How where are you getting? If you're not getting picked up and you have no money, where are you getting food and uh, how are you living? Garrett? You'd be so surprised what's in the big markets dumpsters. Okay, really good food, or at least it seemed like it was. Melons and breads and you name it. Like we have, I remember it was Safeway, which we would always run into Safeways. This may be like your. What is your? Yeah, we got a Safeway. We got Safeways or Coles. Yeah, with uh, produce and food. Yep. Yeah, yep. Coles. Basically, yep. a Coles. Whenever we saw Coles, we got excited. We went to the back, opened the dumpsters, and then we'd even it's like 
McDonald's, they would give us free coffee. There were some at McDonald's that'd give you free coffee. I don't know what it was, but back then they would give you free coffee. Huh. I guess as a homeless person or something. I guess we were, we were homeless. So, um, but the the worst part of it all, like she left us with the brother Ed with the club foot for a week, and he was kind of, I don't know, we, it was felt really weird. Like he was re, like real grumpy guy. I remember that wasn't a good experience. Like maybe probably just because our mom was in there, and then um, we finally get to go home. We're finally done. The whole time we're looking for Christ Lightning Amen. This guy, the, the cult leader, and he's he's self proclaimed Christ Lightning Amen. That's his name. Yes, Christ Lightning Amen. Christ Lightning Amen. We're always trying to get to Florida. I remember, it's always Florida. I think my mom really wanted to go to Florida because it's warm, and to find Christ Lightning Amen, and maybe she saw that as a religious. Journey to try and get to Florida. You know, I have to ask her what was really going on in her head. Um, but so then we turned for some reason. We turned back and go back home to Hawaii to uh, to Berkeley to my dad's house. And we got to walk up our street with our twenty friends on that street, and we're hiding and ducking in the. Oh, you got your robes on. The robes, the most embarrassing You'd be thing I've ever. Hating that as a kid. Hating it. So traumatizing. How has all this shaped you to become the person you become now, Gary? And how do you view your mum giving you that life? As a positive, as – how do you view it all? It's, well, I've been able to surf. Okay, so she then – we get to Berkeley, back having a time of our life with our friends, and then she goes well, – she – she went to Hawaii and she came back. She said, we're moving to Hawaii. And we're like, oh, no, not again. <laughs> and we're loving where we're at. And then she tries to get to Hawaii first time. And they throw a big party for us, all our friends. Remember the biggest bags of candy you ever saw in your life? We That's all we ate. It was candy and frosted flakes. And, uh, <laughs> and, I reckon you're lucky to be here today, Cameron. Yeah. <laughs> and then we don't go. So, oh, we're going again. And then we don't go. She has a boyfriend, a black guy, who's a musician, really good. What's his name? Daryl. Daryl. <clears throat> There's a picture in there of him. Yeah, yeah. And um, he gets us to Hawaii. We got plane tickets. And uh, we're, we're actually really leaving this time, and we're really bummed. And I think you described in the book you guys rolled up looking like the Jackson 5. Partridge family meets Jackson 5. We literally had... <laughs> yeah. It's, a, it's almost as bad as the Christ family robes. Right. Uh, like it was as bad as the robes. But this is flaming velvet orange with white satin shirt underneath. A velvet orange vest, velvet orange bell bottoms with a white satin collared shirt underneath. Just in five. Yeah, we were styling all four of us. My mom, my brother, and the, and my and Daryl. And we went to the airport like that. This is to go to Hawaii? Yes. <laughs> we arrived in Hawaii like that. And so so, so, so you, you, we'll get to Hawaii, but just back to that question, how do you view it? Because... I'm going to avoid this question over and over. No. <laughs> I'm, well, well, joking. Can, I'm joking, I'm well, joking. You've had such a... <clears throat> There's not much adventure in modern life, and you look at kids now, and it's screens and iPads and video games. You've had the opposite of that. Obviously, there were some difficult times, some extreme times, but overall, how do you view the package? I have to say that everything that happened in my life made me who I am, and I choose to process everything as a positive, 
And I'm even going to work on process. The only one that I kind of feel is, was a negative was the, the Christ family, but it's guarantee a, a, a learning experience, challenging experience, but learning. Um, it, I chose not to be a victim of my past. Uh, I choose to be in the moment, um, enjoy the moment. And all of the things that I went through, definitely so many life lessons and so many situations were the Paul Thoreau, world renowned, amazing author. Uh-huh. He uh, did a piece on with me on, for the Smithsonian. I read it last night. Oh, cool. What a writer. <laughs> yeah, I love that what guy. What a writer. He's amazing. But he said, Garrett, you started at less than zero. And I didn't really process it like that at all. I thought everything that happened made me who I am today and and so many amazing experiences and experiences that nobody would ever think of going through or some maybe even dream of going through. But there's so many life lessons and so many situations that made me street smart and made me very open and friendly with every type of person. Um help me just accept where I am and where I've been. And I know it's a good question. Nobody's ever asked me that. That's the idea of the podcast. <laughs> but like I said to you at the start, um, this is a, a positive podcast. And you're like, great, there's not much positivity in the world yeah. today, which is why I was pumped talking about you. So you Can get, I email you the answer when I think yes, about it more? Yeah, and I'll, I'll put it on. I'll put it on. I'll read it out, Gareth. I'll read it out. My mother got us to Hawaii. I thank her for that. My mother loved me beyond, and my mother, I think she was just, for lack of a better word, very selfish thinking about herself, putting herself first a lot. I have a lot of characteristics that I got from her and the things that I don't, um, my challenging self, a lot of the characteristics I got from her, the things that challenge me as a, as a person. So you get to Hawaii, when do you catch your first wave? And this is where we start to move into the surfing part of your life, which excites me greatly. When do you catch your, do you remember your first wave? I just I remember the first day. I don't remember the first wave. Well, so it was the first day. This guy who we befriend, we moved to Hawaii. We're in the hus- the husband leaves now. We're on welfare. We're in this armpit of the North Shore called Cement City in this housing project and tough part of the world. We don't have boards. We don't have nothing. We the, the the welfare back then I think was pretty good. So we had food and they paid our rent. Um, but we didn't have money to buy surfboards or bikes or skateboards, which we were used to having all of that, uh, not surfboards, but bikes and skateboards. And, and then we, uh, somehow made friends with this kid named Butchie Boy. Butchie Boy. Butchie Boy Wong. And his dad, Wongy Wong. <laughs> That's an imaginative name. <laughs> oh, Wongy Wong. Yep. He, uh. Has all these kneeboards, a big Chinese Hawaiian, and had a bunch of kneeboards, and they're hot, beautiful landscape with waves painted, really nice paintings on the boards. And he grabbed the boards from the wall and said, "We're going surfing." We went surfing with him at uh, is right in front of uh, the Cement City, and it's just this reef, all reef, barely any waves to ride, but enough. And we caught a few waves, and we weren't about to kneeboard; we went straight to our feet. And I remember standing up and having a blast, and um. So the the Christ family was now over, 
And then Butchie Boy's mother was into Buddhism. And we actually ended up at some Buddhist temples a lot in Berkeley, playing around when we were living there with my dad. There's amazing Buddhist temples. We'd run in there and eat and then we'd go on our way. So, but now we, she drags us through Buddhism. Nam yo ho ko, I want a new car, ding. And uh, so we learned all that. And through Butchie Boy's mom, she actually had a tumor in her head. They said, inoperable, you're going to die. And she did her nam yo ho ko, nam yo and boom, tumor came out her nose and she was perfect no yeah so my mom was sold on this religion <laughs> of course she was <laughs> that's the end of Garrett McNamara part A it's time to go chasing big waves now on part B see you there listener